All right. <laughs> I'm going to be speaking from the bachelorette today. <laughs> um, after um, Megan called me and, and asked me, you know, to speak here in September, um, I follow the Family Research Council on social media and uh, go and read their blogs sometimes. And this one caught my attention. I've never seen The Bachelorette. I've never seen that uh, show. But this particular blog caught my attention. I was like, I'm going to go read that and see what that's about. So, as it says here, they entitled it, Speaking the Truth in Love, How the Bachelorette Got It Both Wrong and Right. And I didn't know much about the, the show beforehand, except for I figured there must be a bachelorette. And evidently, they have different bachelors who are vying for her hand in marriage. And uh, so this time with the bachelorette, evidently, this particular one had professed Christianity. She had professed that she was a Christian. And one of the bachelors on there had professed that he was a Christian. So they had a private conversation. And in that conversation, he confronted her. Because evidently, they have something called fantasy night. I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> or fantasy suite or something. So he confronted her about abstinence. And uh, he said, you know, as a Christian, I believe in abstinence. And he said, so I just need to ask you. I need to know where you stand on this. And uh, so she got pretty offended, apparently, by him asking her that question. And um, actually... I, since I hadn't seen the show, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go see if I can find this clip. Now, I did this after the Lord spoke to me, but I went and found the clip. And you can find just about anything on YouTube. And um, in, on in their conversation, she finally says to him, she says, I have had sex, and Jesus still loves me. And so as I thought about the blog, and I thought about... Um, you know, what they had written in the blog and everything, and I was kind of reflecting my thoughts to the Lord about what they had said in there. And uh, the Lord said to me, he said, she got the question wrong. I was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean, Lord, she got the question wrong? And he said, the question is never, do I love you? The question is, do you love me? I brought a Kleenex in case I cry. You know, the love of God for us is never in question. You know, as I thought about what the Lord had just spoken to me, scripture supporting this truth, you know, they begin to run through my mind. Christ's love for us, thank you, Sydney. <laughs> Christ's love for us is never in question. Okay, of course, we all know John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 8, 35 and 38 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress 
or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. Skip down to 38. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then, of course, as I thought about these and the truth of this, then the Lord took me, of course, to where he asked that question in Scripture. And he asked that question with Peter. So we're going to go through the story of Peter, because some of you may not know all the story of Peter. So we're going to go through that story and um, go from there, okay? So we're going to start in Matthew um, Matthew 26, 31 through 35. It said, um, this is after Jesus has had the Passover with the disciples, okay? And I think at this point, they'd actually already gone out to the, the Mount of Olives, I think. And it says, then Jesus said to them, to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so all the disciples you know, and so said all the disciples. And so now, let's move to Peter's actual denial. And this is Matthew 26, um, 69 through 75. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Now, after Jesus had resurrected, you know, he appeared to the disciples um, several times. And John records the third time and the rest of the story, where Jesus appeared on the shore while the disciples were fishing, and he invited them to come and eat breakfast with him. Okay, so we'll pick up the story now. Jesus is resurrected. He's on the shore. He's inviting them to eat breakfast with him. And this is John 21. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You know, I believe this is still the question for us today. 
you know, do you love me? Uh, I have to admit, I struggled <laughs> with how to communicate this message because um, how do you teach love? How do you teach somebody to love Jesus? Uh, you can't give a formula for love. And the bottom line is none of us love the Lord as we should. We're all Peter. You know, as it says in this, that Matthew discourse, you know, and, and I tried to stress it, it said they all asserted the same thing, not just Peter. They all said, oh, we'll never deny you, no, Lord, we'll not stumble. But they all did, okay? Peter wasn't the only one. They were all scared, and they all scattered in fear. But <laughs> I was thinking about it, poor Peter. <laughs> you know, Peter gets to be the poster child <laughs> for all of history. <laughs> so I'm thankful for Peter, you know, um, that that. The Lord put, you know, put his life out there for us because, again, we're all Peter. You know, we're not only all Peter, we're all Thomas. We've all doubted. You know, we're all at the woman at the well. We've all sinned. We've denied him in that way. We all come up short in our love for the Lord. You know, when Jesus turned this conversation toward Peter at the breakfast, he didn't say to him, you know, Peter, you denied me. You know, how could you do that? I told you that you would deny me, and you denied me. You were prideful. You said, oh, no, not me. You know, he didn't, he didn't quote a law or a verse to him. He didn't scold him. He just asked him a question. Do you love me? That's because, you know, it's not about a law or a set of rules. It's not about do's or don'ts. I know the last couple of weeks when Travis has spoken, he, you know, he said, I think several times, it's not, it's not about a formula. It's not about a formula, you know, and that's because it's about what's in here, what's on the inside of us. It's about the heart, and it's about a relationship, and it's about a love relationship with him, and that's what he's after. He's after our heart. So as I prayed about this and I thought about this, um, the Lord took me to Matthew 22, 35 through 40. And I'm going to give, um, you know, a little bit of brown, the key verse there, just to give you a little bit of what's going on. You know, the Pharisees were always testing Jesus. They were always coming to him and trying to trick him. So that's what's going on here. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And um, this is repeated in Mark, and I just put it up there because he also adds in there, with all your strength, okay? You know, like Jesus said, this is the first and the greatest commandment. You know, if we get this right, <laughs> we get it all right. That's why he says the whole law and the prophets hang on it, everything, if we can get this. You know, sometimes when I, when I read this again, was thinking about this week, I was thinking, you know, this is kind of like one of those verses that, you know, we, we've heard so much, and then we get familiar with it, you know? But it's the most important thing, the most important one. And we could just camp right there 
You know, we could just live right there, and we'd get it all right. Um, so I want us to look first at that loving the Lord with our, with our whole heart. And actually, I'm just going to live there for this message because, like I said, you could write a dissertation on this. <laughs> you really could. There's so much. There's so much in that interaction with Peter. There's so much in this, in, in this scripture itself. It's just full. So um, I want us to look at that word heart from this verse in the Greek. Okay, it's the word cardia. Okay, you can see where we get our word cardiac. Okay, we get so many of our words from the Greek, but it's cardia. Um, and I'm a word nerd, and like I said, but I love the word. I love to dig in the word, and, and so we're going to do that today. We're going to kind of follow how the Lord kind of talks to me and takes me on journeys with him. Um, so I looked into the Vines Expository Dictionary, and this first definition here is the, the physical heart. It's talking about the physical heart. It says, the heart, the chief organ of physical life, and it occupies the most important place in the human system. I think sometimes we think the brain is. But think about this for a minute. A person can be brain dead and the heart's still beating. They're still alive, okay? Um, and I believe it's the same spiritually. I believe the heart is the most important spiritual organ. I think that's why it's listed first in this list. Okay, we're to love the Lord first with all of our heart. Okay, so then they go on and they define the spiritual heart. This is by an easy transition, the word came to stand for man's entire mental and moral activity, both the rational and the emotional elements. In other words, the heart is used figuratively for the hidden springs of the personal life. And so when I read that, I immediately thought of Proverbs 4.23. And I put it up here in several versions. You could put it up here in every version. It was so good. And there's so much in it. It's so rich. But I put these up here. I just want us to read those, um, these four at least. Keep thy heart. This is the King James. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You know, the issues of life come out of our heart. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. It's the very source of your life, okay? Your heart is. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything we do flows from our heart. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life, okay? And I, I thought about it um, I follow that. I follow the comedian, John Chris, the Christian comedian. People know who that is. <laughs> okay. Actually, we went to their church, and I had John in children's church when he was little. But anyways, um, I, I was thinking about these verses. I was thinking, okay, these verses take check your heart to a whole new level because, <laughs> you know, that's his big thing. He, you know, he wears the T-shirt that says, check your heart. Okay, this takes it to a whole new level, you know, of how important the heart is. And, um, you know, James tells us that the, the, when we hear the word of God, it's like a mirror. And that when we look into it, and it should reflect back to us. And so um, we need to let that work in us, the, the mirror of the word, let it work in us today. So I want to I just put up a few questions 
that, you know, I ask myself when I, when I read this, when I read this of Proverbs 4.23 and I think about my heart, you know, that I say to myself, are the issues of my life reflecting that I love Jesus with all of my heart? Does the course of my life demonstrate that I love Jesus with all of my heart? Is everything I do flowing out from the source of my love for Jesus in my heart? Because we can't separate out our life from our heart. Okay. Um, Proverbs 23, 6 through 7. You've probably heard this middle part of the scripture I've got highlighted there. You've probably heard it as, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It's actually in the context of a miser. But this principle applies to everything and to all of us again. As we think in our heart, so are we, okay? Our actions, see the miser, like it says, you know, if you get to his table, you know, don't, don't eat and drink because his heart's not with you, okay? And so, again, you know, who we are inside, that's what's going to come out. Let's see what Jesus has to say about that in Luke 6, 43 through 45. He says, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So again, we can't separate our heart, out our heart from what we do and what we say. Um, in that um, Vine's definition of the heart, they made reference to that hidden person of the heart. And, you know, 1 Peter 3, 4 makes reference to that. It's in the context of talking about women, but we all have a hidden person of the heart, every one of us. And that's why God looks on the heart, okay? Because that's who we really are inside of us. As 1 Samuel says, For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And this is why loving the Lord isn't about a set of rules or about a set of do's or don'ts. You know, if that was the case, the Pharisees would have had it down pat because <laughs> they had all the rules, okay? They had all of that. But what did Jesus say about them? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. You know, they looked good outwardly. But inwardly, they were dead. So it's the heart that matters. And we are to love him completely in that innermost hidden man, in that hidden person of ourselves. That's where we're supposed to love him. And in fact, you know, in this verse, we're told to love him with all of our heart. And I want to look at that word all in these verses. It's the word halos. And it means all or whole. And I actually prefer the word whole. <laughs> and the reason I do is because that conjures up to me that picture of like a, a whole thing of a pie. I think the first thing I think is a pie, you know. And um, that's actually used in mounts. They're, they're, it's a literal um, interlinear translation. And they use that. And you shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart and with your whole life and with your whole mind and with your whole strength. You know, we aren't to just to love him with a part or just parts of our innermost being. 
the whole of it is to be given to him and to loving him. We're to love him wholeheartedly. And uh, when I thought about this picture of wholeheartedness, I, I couldn't help but think of a, a sermon, an old sermon. It's by a man called Robert Boyd Munger, and it's called um, My Heart Christ Home. Has anybody that's older heard that? Ah, Lillian over here. I heard this sermon. Well, I heard it repeated by our pastor, but it was so anointed. Even when he repeated it, I was in middle school, that I was deeply moved by it. And, um, you know, I could still, then I didn't know what it was, but it was the anointing. The anointing was on that, little, that sermon. And the sermon is basically about Jesus coming to live in our heart as a home. And, you know, that the heart having different rooms in it, just like our home does. And that him wanting to come and take over each one of those rooms. And, you know, the key that to me that was in that message was um, Jesus had to go from being a guest in the home to being the owner of the home. That's when it got cleaned out. And I was delighted when I got, I brought a, a visual aid. <laughs> I was delighted when I got older because I had loved that message so, that, so much. And it's actually was made into a children's book. And so if you have children, I encourage you to get this and read. I cry. I, even when I got it out the other day and just flipped through it before coming, I cried again. I cry every time I read this book. Um, but I cry. <laughs> I cry easily anyways. But, um, you know, and it's about a little boy. And, you know, Jesus to come stay in his house. And he has a little secret box that he keeps in a closet that has things in it that are the part of him that he doesn't want to give to the Lord. But the Lord and his love comes, and, and they, they clean out that little box together. So it's a very special story. That's what the Lord wants from us. He wants the whole house, and he, he doesn't want to just be a guest. You know, he wants to be the owner of the home. He wants to be the master of the house. Um, you can also pull up a PDF of that sermon, okay? You just put in my heart, Christ home. You can pull up a PDF of that online um, and read it. It's a, it's a good message. So, um, so again, I have to look at, at this word of whole and wholeheartedness, you know, and ask myself again, do I love him wholeheartedly or am I parceling out my heart to him? Am I giving him only a section or maybe reserving a section for myself? Is he chief among my affections? Or does he only hold a part of my affections? You know, and as that sermon stated, am I making him the owner of my heart or is he still just a guest? You know, also when I thought about originally loving the Lord with my whole heart, when I, when I, thought of a, when I think of a heart, the first word that comes to mind is passion. So I felt like the Lord, you know, said, okay, yeah, and it was one of the definitions for cardia in the Theological Dictionary of New Testament Words. It said the seed of feelings, desires, and passions. And uh, that's actually that word passion is used in a couple of translations. It's used in the message, love the Lord God with all your passion. And also in um, the Passion Translation. You are to love the Lord Yahweh, your God, with every passion of your heart. And again, like I say, I'm a word nerd. If 
felt like the Lord said, go look that word up in the Merriam-Webster dictionary. And the reason I felt like he said, go look it up in that one is because you don't know Noah Webster who originally wrote the uh, Webster's Dictionary, before it became Miriam Webster, they, they bought the rights to it, was a devout Christian. And so in his dictionary, he used the Bible for a lot of examples for his definitions. I remember one time the Lord told me to go look up the word community in, in, in it, and this was years ago, and I opened it up, and it said the apostolic community of believers. <laughs> I, I, I felt like, has he ever seen that movie Harvey? about the giant rabbit okay again Lillian oh gosh <laughs> all of us old people um but there's one point where there's something in a dictionary and it's a personal statement uh to the guy that's reading the dictionary and then he picks up the dictionary and shakes and says who in the Webster's dictionary wants to know that you know but that's the way I felt when I read that um and it was the same way with this okay when I went to the Webster's dictionary and looked it up this is the first definition for passion, okay? Definition of passion often capitalize the sufferings of Christ between the night of the Last Supper and his death. Isn't that perfect? You know, that was like a drop-the-mic moment for me when I read that because Jesus truly defines the word passion. Everything about him defines the word passion. If it has to do with passion, he defines it. Um, you know, and it caught my attention that it says here, passion is often capitalized. And I thought, is my passion capitalized? Do I love him with a capital P? This definition from Merriam-Webster's also further defines passion under its synonyms section. It says, passion means intense emotion, compelling action. Passion applies to an emotion that is deeply stirring or ungovernable. And this is, these are the thoughts that I had then. You know, Jesus had intense emotion for us, compelling him to action, to the ultimate action, to action with a capital P. His passion was deeply stirring and ungovernable. All the laws of the world and the universe couldn't stop it. It was ungovernable by any agency known to man. It caused him to suffer, to lay down his life, and it caused him to resurrect his life. And I believe it was his passion also that resurrected him because, as it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life believe the resurrection of Jesus to eternal life was the consummation of God's love for us, his passion with a capital P. So I have to look in that mirror again. I have to say to myself, am I loving Jesus with all my passion? Do I have intense emotion for Jesus compelling me to action or to not take an action if that is what the situation requires? Do I have emotion for Jesus that is deeply stirring and ungovernable? Or am I going through the motions? Or does fear of man determine my course? I'm going to see what time it is here because I'm going to see if I have time to go down a little side trail for just a second. Mm, I think I do. Okay. I didn't put this in here because I didn't know if I had time or not. But 
when I thought about this, the thing that came to me was the church of Ephesus in Revelation. You know, they, they pretty much had it all right. They were doing it all. They hated the Nicolaitans, which were people who led people away from, you know, the pure and true devotion to Jesus. Um, they, you know, it said that he knew their, their works and all those things. But he said what he had against them was they had left their first love. And he told him to return to the first works. And I felt like that's because the works had become the motion. They were going through the motions of it. They didn't have the passion anymore. They needed to return to that passion for the Lord and do the things that they did out of passion for him. And, and, you know, and I'm guilty. I I can go through the motions. I can go through the motions. I've been doing this a long time. (laughs) You know, I can go through those motions really well. But do I have that passion? Is that where it's coming from? Is is passion stirring in me for the the Lord? Um, In the 90s, I I realized that a a lot about myself, that I I could intellectually do the right thing. And I began to say, want to do things just because it's the right thing to do. I want to do it because I love you. I, I want to be motivated that I love you. I, I had quiet time. It was the right thing to do. I was like, I just had to ask myself that and say, you know, is it a duty that I'm doing this? Or am I passionate about meeting with the Lord? And so, I just invite you to ask yourself those kind of things. You know, just like these things that I'm listening. Ask yourself those kind of things and, and, and invite him into that. Invite him into that conversation. Okay, let's see where I am. So, I want to back up here and look at one more word. Okay, the word love. And first, I want to look at it from within this greatest commandment. But I actually want to back up and look at it where it's first mentioned in Scripture. Um, Because a lot of us have heard it gone through in the Greek before. We've heard the word agape and stuff. But I want to back up because the nuance that I got when I I backed up and I went to Deuteronomy 6.5. And this is the original place where it tells us that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And so I'll look that word up in the Hebrew. And um, what I looked it up in, um, I got a blue letter Bible. All of you can do this. All of you can go and you can search out the word like this. It's um, Gesenius, Gesenius Hebrew Chaldee lexicon. Uh, Gesenius was a German scholar. And he was considered a master in the Hebrew language. And so um, when I saw his definition, um, I was really affected by it. It's love, the word ahav, or ahav. Um, It means to desire, to breathe after anything. And so immediately I had to say, do I breathe after Jesus? Do I long for him in this way? Is that the definition of my love for Jesus? 
as I said earlier, there's, there's no pat formula for getting to this place in our love for Jesus. We can, but we can have a desire and we can have a pursuit. That's what we can have. We can have a desire and we can have a pursuit. And that's, you know, I think it was the last time I spoke or about every time I spoke, I always bring this up. 1 Corinthians 14.1, pursue love. We can pursue love. We can ask the Lord. We can dialogue with him about this and say, you know, I, Lord, when I look in the mirror of this, no, I'm not where I should be. You know, I'm like Peter. I'm still like Peter. <laughs> I'm like Peter. But, Lord, I want to breathe after you. I want to have intense passion for you. You know, even as I prepared this message this week, I thought it was interesting, uh, follow Mike Bickle on social media, and, and he put up a, on his Instagram, you know, this. It, it takes God to love God, and it does. And I, but I would add to that also, God does not give us a commandment. He commanded us to love him. He does not give us, and to love him with our whole heart, if he commanded us to do that, he does not give a commandment that he does not also give the grace to fulfill. He will give you the grace. And again, it's that pursuit, it's that desire, it's that asking him for that. Of chasing after him and saying, I want this. This is where I am, but this is what I want, Lord. You know, I look in your word. I don't, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Um. You know, we sing a lot of songs and we put the word more in it. I want more, Lord. I want more. I want more. Years ago, John Wimber um, said he was talking to the Lord and he was asking him, I think he was using the word help. Lord, help me. And he said, the Lord said to him, how much help do you want, John? And I kind of felt that way about that word more one time. I was singing it. <laughs> how much more do you want, Janice? So... I wrote this song years ago um, about that, about Jesus asking me, do I want all of him? But I still have a hard time singing that song because of what it means to want all of Jesus. You know, he told, uh, you know, was it James? and which, which two of them asked him, you know, if they could sit beside him? James and John, right? He said, you know, do you know what you're asking? Do you know what you're asking? So sometimes I still have a hard time. I, you know, I look at that song and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to sing it from the place that I am now. I'm going to sing it from that place. So, it's, you know, it's all about his grace and his power working within our lives. You know, Jesus met Peter where he was. He didn't condemn him. He didn't lecture him. He didn't belittle him. I believe that with that question of Jesus to Peter, do you love me? I believe there was an empowerment. Because what I see 
is that Jesus, we, when he meets us where we are, that there's this, sometimes there's this space here between us, okay? There's this gap, what I saw in my mind's eye. It was like there was this gap there between them. But Jesus takes his love and his passion, his grace, and fills that gap. And we just have to reach out with that desire, with that pursuit and with that longing. And we reach into that place. He'll bring us to him. Thank you, Jesus. So let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you that um, you don't condemn us. I thank you, Lord, that you always love us and that that is never the question and that's never in question. And I thank you, Lord, that we can have a desire and we can have a pursuit. And I thank you, Lord, that you will meet us, that you will meet us. You will come and you will fill that gap and you'll fill that place between us with you. Lord, we need you and we do need all of you. We do need all of you. But Lord, we, we know where we are. But you know us too, just like you knew Peter. You know all things and you love us. And you love us and you meet us. So I thank you, Lord. I thank you, fathers. We take your word and your question, Lord, that we allow it to work its way into us, Lord. That, Lord, it will become the very fiber of our being that we would love you with all of our heart, with our whole heart, that we would love you in that way. In Jesus' name, amen. So good, Janice. I, I want you to stand. We're going to worship to one more song, and I, I just want you, the best thing we can do is just be honest with the Lord. I love Janice's questions because it's just honesty. You know, am I doing the, am I doing the right thing because it's right, or am I doing it because I love you, Jesus? Because Jesus is righteousness. So if we we're just following Jesus, we're going to be doing the right thing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And and so I, you know, you feel like. Um, you're not as, maybe you haven't been as hungry for God or you haven't, you, you've lost some of your passion. I just invite you to like bring that to the Lord. It's like, Lord, I really want to like go after you like with everything that I have. And I need you. I need you to help me. Just like Mike Bickle takes God to love God. And he gives you the grace to do what he asks you to do. God has, this is the beautiful thing about God. He doesn't ask you to do anything. He hasn't already done himself. He doesn't ask you to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength if he hasn't done that already. He did that in his son, Jesus. He, he, he laid it all out there. It says if he gave us his own son, how much more will he not give us all things? He doesn't ask you to humble yourself and him sitting up high on the throne. He came and humbled himself and became like a man. So everything that he asks us to do, he's already done. He's, he's done it. So he's, Jesus, and that's the, the, why Jesus 
is the perfect representation of the Father. That's why he can identify with our lives exactly. He's gone through everything that each and every one of us has gone through. He is not distant and, and without understanding. And so wherever you're at, he understands that place. And he understands how to move you forward deeper into the Father's heart. And so as we worship, I just want you to say what? Yes. Even better. You may sit. Thank you, babe. That's my favorite. I would have been bummed if I skipped over that. We wouldn't have skipped it. But So we're going to take communion. And this is the, the perfect time to actually ask these questions and, and receive the passion of the Lord. Receive the passion of the Lord this morning as you take the bread, as you take the juice that represents his broken body and his blood, because that was passion. And so if we'll play some fitting communion music. I'm leaving that up to you. I have no idea what that is. I mean, but uh, so let's, we're going to go ahead and start with this section right here. If you'll tear off a piece of bread, grab a cup. And um, do you have better directions? I'm not the greatest at logistical stuff. Okay. So this section, y'all go ahead and grab your, your bread and juice and come back to your seat. Do not take any of the elements until everybody's gotten it. We're going to do it together. Okay. The juice is in an arrow, by the way. Just let, let, let it pierce her heart, yeah.